Hello, friends. Dave Bjork here, lung cancer survivor, patient advocate, and yes, I'm a research evangelist, and welcome to the Research Evangelist Podcast. Now, the Greek meaning of evangelist is bringing the good news, and I like to think I'm bringing the good news in cancer research by interviewing people in life sciences who are doing great work. I call them brilliant but not famous. Well, all of them are well-known and respected in their fields, so they're famous in that sense, but uh, if I were to ask my next door neighbor their name, they probably would not uh, recognize the name. So uh, I'm super excited today uh, to have on the show uh, Missy Baraska Bjork on the program. And Missy is an RN in the, um, the neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU at Mass General Hospital for Children in Boston. She has a nursing degree from Niagara University and has been practicing nursing at MGH for 35 years. Starting in um, some oncology work and then to pediatrics and then moving to the newborn ICU or the neonatal ICU. Um, she's also a lung cancer patient uh, caregiver. And so we're gonna be asking her about that experience today uh, about being a caregiver. And oh, since her maiden name is Raska, everyone at MGH knows her as Raz. And of course she's also my wife. So I call her that too, ha ha. <laughs> so anyway, Raz, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Awesome. So um, I'd like to start out by, um, I know people think it's, they're going to find it interesting that um, I'm having you on my show. And I want to talk a lot about uh, your experience as being a, a caregiver to a cancer patient, because I think it's an important topic. So we're, we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to start by just having you, you know, tell me a little bit about um, your yourself and your work at, um, at MGH. Okay, well, I am a uh a registered nurse, and I've worked at Mass General Hospital since January of 1985. I started off in women's um, GYN and urological problems inpatient as a staff nurse. Um, after six months, that floor closed, and I was absorbed into MGH on a different floor. Uh, pediatrics, and this floor was age, ages 10 to 20 plus year olds with a variety of um, health problems from broken bones to cancer to cystic fibrosis and everything in between. And then in June of 1990, I moved to the newborn ICU, the NICU, at Mass General, and I've been there ever since, um, going on my 31st year there, and um, I'm very lucky. I love what I do. I love my families that I work with. I love the people I work with, and it's an ever-changing um, work. Um, medical breakthroughs are happening, and um, it you always are learning new things, no matter how long you're there. So That's awesome. it's fun. That's awesome. And I talk a lot about um, my, my appreciation for nurses and uh, I write about it a lot as well. And I think it's important work that you do. And um, so tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about, about your unit, like the work that your unit does. Um, my unit is an 18 bed intensive care unit. Um, we accept patients from, we have a uh, OB service that has a lot of high risk patients, moms with 
either multiple um, birth pregnancies or high-risk um, patients with underlying conditions or a lot of fertility problems. So we have um, a lot of patients that are born there that are either born early or born with unexpected health problems. Um, we used to only accept patients from outside of Mass General um, because we didn't have an OB service until I think the 1995 era. Um, so I used to go out in an ambulance and pick up sick babies in the community, bring them back in an ambulance, and then we would care for all our patients when they got to MGH. Um, we have patients who run from a size of 14 ounces to 14 pounds, um, and many in between. We have babies that are born very, very early to babies that are born post-maturity or kind of uh, 41 weeks, and they are sick for a variety of reasons. So, And I think you, you told me that you've also told me that you've had experience with some patients um, who have cancer. Right. We have had over the years, it's kind of rare, but we have had some babies born with cancer. Um, I've unfortunately seen some very unusual cases. We had a baby born with cancer of their eyes. Um, we had a mom who was born with, who had lymphoma during the pregnancy. And then the baby developed lymphoma after the baby was born. Um, and we have had just a variety of um, unusual um, kids born with masses of whatever sort that have come to be cancer. We've actually even given chemotherapy to babies. And um, so it it wow. is a wide variety of patients, but yeah, you get yeah. to see some unusual cases that end up coming to Boston. Yeah. Well, uh, I know you've, the times that you've had to go out in the ambulance to bring, to bring babies to the unit. I, I can't tell you how important the work you're doing. Everybody I have on my show, I often like to do that shout out to how much I appreciate the, you know, the work that you do. And then uh, your dad was a pharmacist. And um, so tell us, you know, how, how did that, uh, the fact that he was a pharmacist, how did that shape your decision to go into nursing? Um, uh, I worked with him ever since I was a little kid. He had his own pharmacy and I worked for my dad doing emptying the trash for 25 cents an hour to being a pharmacy tech um, until I went to college and until I moved to Boston. And um, he had a big impact on my life. He was a very hard worker. I actually thought about pharmacy school, but then did not get into pharmacy school, thought of physician assistant school, and ended up getting accepted into a nursing program at Niagara University um, in Western New York and decided to go. So he was, he was a big influence. Um, he cared for people most of his life. He always went up 
above and beyond um, just working so many hours in his pharmacy. He would deliver prescriptions to people. He would open his store when the store was closed to help out sick patients. A lot of cancer patients, he would bring their pain medicine to them. And he would, he definitely showed me that caring for others was very important to him. And he had a lot of reward from that, just seeing people, how they reacted to him. So I guess I really appreciated what he did. And I wanted to try out something similar to what he did. That's awesome. He was a good guy. Um, was a good, guy. good guy for sure. And I, I'll share this little anecdote with our, with our listeners that um, people know I work, I do some work at metadata on the patient design team. And um, one of my, my leaders uh, in that program is Alicia Staley, who happens to come from the same small Western New York town that, uh, that you're from. And actually she remembers going into get the medicines from your dad at his, at his local pharmacy. Isn't that cool? That's crazy. Small world. Crazy. Gosh. Yeah, very small world. Amazing. So one of the things I also like to, 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 you know, to talk about when I hear from clinicians, medical oncologists, and other, other uh, caregivers in the um, taking care of cancer patients is, you know, everyone says, well, all my friends think it's so hard. It must be so hard. How do you emotionally handle, you know, taking care of cancer patients? And it is very hard. And um, and emotionally, I think it takes a toll on people, but it must be also hard for you to take care of babies in your unit. Can you tell us a little bit about how that, how that affects you emotionally when you're taking care of the, of the babies and getting to know the families? Um, I, I think it is so rewarding in so many ways when you can see people that struggle in the beginning and their baby is really sick to we get to see a lot of babies um, get better, even though they were extremely sick, um, to going home. And we actually have a wall of fame at work where patients will come back with their parents. We might not recognize them, so now they're big, um, but we recognize their parents or they come and tell their story of, how they um, were affected being at MGH in the NICU. And that's what helps us to keep going back day after day. Um, To know we hopefully made a difference for most of these families. And we talk about patient advocacy. We have encouraged their parents to become that baby's biggest advocate. And if they, for whatever reason, like during COVID, we could not always have those parents at the bedside because they were sick with COVID, we became, and we always will be, our patients' advocates, especially being a nurse. You're at the bedside all the time. And we will step in and say, something's wrong. We, We need to do something to help this baby. We are with that child or children more than anybody else. And I think we encourage parents to jump in and speak up. They know their baby. 
they're learning about their baby and we are there we are trying to help them to become that advocate for that um for that baby so it's very rewarding it um can be draining but that's what where you come in you are my sounding board thank you you uh listen to me all the time when i come home from work and i've had a bad week or a bad night and i appreciate that thank you well you know you, you mentioned something about patient advocacy and and you you kind of play a dual role as as i know you're such a champion for those babies as if they were your own um and but also in, in educating the patients um, the parents you know to be you know, going forward, even after they get out of, of the hospital, you know, to be their to be their own advocates and advocates for their for their kids. So, uh, really important, really important work. And and I know there's a lot of good outcomes. It's unfortunately not always good outcomes, but um, you know, your your work. Uh, I'm so impressed with your work and others in your um, in your department in your unit. You know, who go to work every day to take care of these of these babies. So. Um, I'd like to now talk about your role as a caregiver. And as I mentioned, I believe that the, the role of the caregiver in the cancer journey is so important and so much so, sometimes neglected. And I have told people how much uh, it meant to me to have you as my caregiver and how I think now, as I look back on it, how I wish I would have had been more grateful or shown more gratitude for all the work that you uh, all the work that you do so uh, when i was a lung cancer patient but so i'm saying it now i mean i i've told you many times but uh, i say it again of how grateful for all the work that you did but what do you remember most about that time when i was sick um i remember that um it was hard um it we had three boys that were ages one three and five um, I think the whole diagnosis of a tumor in your lung was eye-opening and it was um, scary um, no matter what. Um, and I feel like you don't realize at the time how hard that time is to kind of keep the family together to keep your spirits going and to generally my biggest line is keep going and i think when you look back i can look back to 20 years ago and say yep that was a hard time but at the time you just did it you just you didn't have a choice you um just kept going the boys had to be fed they had to, you know, be taken care of and you needed to be taken care of. So um, I was lucky. I took a few weeks off and I was able to be near you. Um, but I will tell you, it was difficult at times. Yeah. So. I, well, <laughs> you made a good point that that I often say, I think it's, you know, it's it's harder for the caregiver than the patient because the patient you know, you just have to kind of put your game face on and, and just deal with it, right? You deal with the, uh, all the emotions and, and getting ready for treatment, whatever that treatment might be, in my case, a lobectomy. 
And then the recovering from a lobectomy, it just takes, it took months. And so I feel like from a patient's perspective, it's like, you know, we just do it, you know? And you just said that, you just said, you just do it. So it's that was an interesting perspective from a caregiver. Um, but I think it's also important to stress just how, how difficult it was um, emotionally because uh, yeah, it, because you're a positive person and you are, are always going to be, you just do whatever you have to do to take care of uh, the family and, and, and take care of me. Um, but I've, I, I always worry about the emotional toll that that takes on, on caregivers. I can share one story that you did, you did during that time, uh, build a like a hundred foot long picket uh, fence along our, along our driveway. And so what was that? Was that like an outlet for you? Or what was that as some, some getting some accomplishment or what was the thinking behind that? Um, I don't think I thought about it. I just, I needed to get up and get some physical energy out. Um, I need to get the boys outside so it could be quiet inside for you. And it was a good stress reliever. I think my, my biggest advice to anyone who's a patient advocate is a couple of things. One is always speak up. If you see something is not right with your person who's undergoing treatment or um, you know, going to the hospital or whatever, speak up. You are the voice of that person who might not be able, might not have the strength to do that. And secondly, you need some kind of outlet to whether you get 15 minutes or an hour and a half to build a fence, do something physical or whatever works for you to help you to keep going the next day. You don't have a choice, but you have a choice in how you can manage through a lot of unknown territory, a lot of scary times. And and I also relied on a lot of people generally that I worked with who would listen to me when I went back to work and they were they were awesome. Lean on people you can lean on. We leaned on our family, but they were far away and it was hard for them to help us. And we are very independent. So we didn't want a lot of help, but I think for a patient advocate, just be strong and do whatever you need to do to get through that day and be able to do it again the next day and speak up for your beloved person if, if you feel they need some extra um, uh, explanation of what's going on, do it. And, and you know, as well as uh, a lot of people that I'm not very quiet. So <laughs> I speak up when I feel it's necessary. And um, I give you a lot of credit, all the patient advocates out there who, who, don't even realize how hard it is what they're going through at the time, but keep going. That's, yeah. that's well, the model. You bring up a good point. I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to ask you about this, this idea of asking for help because I know you're very independent and so you, you try to take on a lot of things on your shoulders, but I think it's also important that as a patient advocate and as a caregiver that 
oftentimes we people say, well, let us know if there's anything we can do to help, right? But how often do we not ask people for help, right? And I right. feel like if people, you know, are offering to help, then you take them up on that, you know? Yep. And I don't think we did as much, but, no. but I do remember there were certain people that I was like, wow, did they step it up? There were yep. certain friends of mine that just really surprised me that, yep. you know, that just went over the overboard and, and being so helpful. But I do think it's important for, for, you know, for caregivers to, you know, to, if you do need help, don't be afraid to, to rely on people because some people do have a lot of it. We didn't have family in the Boston area. Um, so we didn't have access to, you know, our parents, you know, if they lived nearby, they could have come um, to help relieve you and, and to stay with the kids. Sometimes you could get a break or, um, or whatever. So um, what do you think? One, one point to that I have is if you have a friend, a family member, a person that you care about that is going through a hard time, I've been on the other end of that, of being the friend that, what do you need? If, if you are that person who's able to help, just do it. Just offer, just deliver a meal whether they freeze it for later. Don't, people aren't going to ask for help a lot. I think just, if you can think of one thing, take their dog out for a walk or pick up their mail for them, bring it to their house. Whatever that is, just do it. As a friend who needed, who their friend needed help, the patient advocate husband didn't know how to ask for help. So you just step in there as a friend and just do it. Just do whatever might help that family. Even if it's a little thing, they'll appreciate it later on. They'll look back and be like, whoa, can't believe that that really helped a lot. And that happened to us. We had some friends that would deliver meals that we never asked for or we never really asked for help and they would just step it up and just do whatever we needed without us even asking a lot of people don't like to ask they they don't know how to ask so yeah i think people out there just help whatever well, way that might be and you know another be. another thing i'd like to ask you is is in your role, in your in your role as a nurse, and um, taking care of these babies, and then you you see the the emotional potential emotional needs of the parents. You you know who I, I would imagine the last place that anybody wants their baby to go, a newborn, is to the <laughs> to an ICU, right? So yep. you know from from your perspective, do you do you pick up on signals from from? Oh, parents? immediately from from the beginning. Of I go to a lot of births of um, high-risk moms uh, or the baby during labor is not tolerating labor. And we, from the moment that we have to take that baby down to the NICU, we wheel that baby over, even if they're on a ventilator. And we try to have that bond of the mother and the father. I will say to whoever... This, the significant other is, let me have your cell phone. Let me take a couple photos. 
you want to have that family be able to bond from the beginning. So you, you're kind of being that patient advocate from the minute that baby is born until they are leaving the hospital. You encourage families to be a part of the baby's care and um, do whatever it might take to help them to connect with their child, no matter how hard it is. That's so important. And I, I remember, and, I, and I'm sure you remember, uh, there was some nurses that took care of me when I was in the hospital for a week, you know, on a morphine trip. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure that you were building a relationship with those, with those um, nurses that were taking care of me. But I, but I do remember some of them just being super compassionate. You know, and the, awesome. what you just described, you know, and taking from a baby from the delivery room, you know, and wheeling it directly to your unit, even if it's on a ventilator, that amount of, of empathy and compassion, you know, is, I see it and I hear it all the time when I'm, when I'm talking with, with uh, people in, in oncology, you know, who are, are taking care of, you know, of, of patients and, and, and from a caregiver advocate role, they're also interacting with their families. So I've always encouraged people, whether it's from the beginning, you know, when you first diagnosed and helping determine treatment, sometimes if people in, in a, it, they hear the words cancer and then they don't, and all they hear is blah, blah, blah for that. They don't, they, you know, because they're just so, um, so impacted by it. So it's, I think it's also important that the role that a, a caregiver um, advocate can have even from the very beginning, right? So like just yes. in our case, in my case, we knew that it was, I was going to have to have surgery, right? But, but, we, but also we yep. didn't know how, we didn't know this, this, the exact stage of the, of the, of the tumor at the time, because they didn't do a biopsy. Yep. So we had that emotional concern and I, uh, uh, and stress about, you know, what to do, but we didn't have to go for a second opinion or things like that, because I think the, the, the treatment we knew was going to be surgery, yep. right? but, but what about the patients who have a more complex or later stage cancer? Um, you know, that role, how do you feel about that role of, of being someone, being a, a listener or in your case, you're a healthcare worker, so you have a lot of experience, but what, what if you're not, what if you're not, a, what if you're not involved with healthcare, what advice can you give to um, patients and their loved ones, you know, to help make those decisions? Um, I think my advice would be to listen to um, your options of um, if you are a caregiver of, say, a person with cancer, they have so many options of treatment and to write down any questions in your phone. I, I always tell people write down, you know, you're laying in bed, you can't sleep, write down anything you're thinking about for that patient, for that loved one, um, to be able to speak up for them, um, to kind of be that voice for that person and to ask questions. Um, why, why are you doing that kind of medicine? What what will that medicine do for for my mother? Um, what will what kind of side effects? How long will this 
go on. And I think any part being any part of helping your person that you're caring about is to speak up, but also to listen and, and to listen, say, to the person going through it. Maybe they can't deal with getting hearing too much about medicines. I know when you were diagnosed, you went and learned everything you could. I could not. I could not look up things in the library. We didn't have the internet so much back then, but I just had to keep going with the kids. And for you, you needed every bit of knowledge to be able to deal with it. And I think everybody deals with things in a different way, whether you're that advocate for that person, you're giving that person a ride to their treatment. Just be there for that person. Just listen to that person. So there's, there's so many ways that you can help your person, your family member, your friend, whoever is going through this hard time. Drop off a meal, whatever, whatever might be able to help that person do it. And, and also encourage that patient to ask questions if they have them. Or if they can't deal with it, you ask questions if they're allowing you to get information. I, I think uh, it goes both ways of listening and speaking. I think there's a lot to listening to a family going through a lot with a baby in the NICU. You tell them to call you day or night, 20 times if they want, because you want to alleviate their fear. You want to help them through this process and you want them to get stronger and understand their their baby or patient or whatever. Whatever someone is going through, it's amazing a transformation as you see patients at the beginning with their families to the end. And it's, it, it's, that is so rewarding to see people kind of growing with their baby or their patient and um, being able to help that patient in whatever way they can. Yeah. Well, you, you brought up something that I've, often mentioned on my show is the this search for information that I put myself through. <laughs> I sometimes yeah. advise people to be cautious of that because if you're like me, I tend to be a person who catastrophizes. So I I would read, you know, I was reading the wrong things first of all. I was reading it from the Journal of Thoracic Surgery. So um, it was it was high level medical knowledge, but it was also I was seeing the things I would, my eyes would always go to the worst things like the five-year survival race or whatever. And I advise people to be careful about that because, you know, there is a lot of hope now. There are treatments and there are a lot of targeted therapies, you know, for lung cancer. There's still a long way to go, you know, with the research, but uh, not to always just look at the worst outcome. Like, oh God, that's going to happen to me. Right. Because I'm mostly, I remember you've told me as a caregiver, you know, you, you hear the word lung cancer and, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, our kids are like so little, is, is Dave going to die? And what, yep. what is that? How is, what is that? What am I going to do? Right. 
And yep. so that's kind of what I, I, I feel like that's why caregivers are in such a difficult place because, you know, they have to take care of themselves, you know, and I think you said that. And I think that's really, that's a really important message. If there's one big takeaway from our conversation, I, I would say that, you know, keep going, do what you have to do to, you know, to, you know, accept fr help from friends or do activities that keep you sane or keep your mind off it or whatever, but, but also make it, that's a, a big part of, you know, taking care of yourself. So um, I was going to ask you earlier um, how COVID has affected um, your work. And I know it's, it's had a big impact on people with cancer, but how you mentioned FaceTime and some other activities that you're doing with families and, and um, how has it been, how challenging has that been? It has been very challenging. We've had babies that have been born um, to moms who are COVID positive and um, if the baby needs the NICU because they're premature or they um, need some extra help um, health-wise, needing IVs and things like that, it is very tough for those babies to bond with that family because the dad or the significant other who might be COVID negative is now exposed to that mother. And if the mother is positive, some of the moms have been pretty sick and um, have, been, have been at a variety of, um, of other floors, including the ICU. And um, it's been hard for that family to then bond. They can't visit. Um, we try to do FaceTime to, so they can see the baby um, more often than not. We also have this program that they have um, cameras at every bedside that we can um, keep the camera going. They can watch the baby on their iPhone or their computer. Oh, that's cool. 24-7, um, and we have that pro that ability that there's no sound to it, but the families can watch their baby 24-7, even not being able to visit. So, that's And we've cool. also tried to do some scrapbooks for the families who might have missed out in the baby's first bottle, first bath all kinds of little things that we try to fill in for them that they might've missed because of COVID. So. That's, wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, okay. So the last question I ask all my guests um, is um, outside of uh, work, you know, what are you passionate about or tell us something about yourself that people might not know? Um, I think a lot of people know this if they, see any of my Facebook <laughs> <laughs> items or my Instagram, but I'm a big baker and someday I am going to retire from being a nurse and I'm going to have a pastry food truck and I'm going to hire all my old medical people who like to bake with me. And I hope that with that, I can make a little money 
do a little of my passion of baking, create some things, but also be able to give back to, there's a couple little charities that I am involved in that I really think are important. Um, the Alzheimer's Association, my mom had Alzheimer's, um, cystic fibrosis. I have always had a passion for those patients. I worked with them um, in my younger years and cancer patients. I've always loved my teenage cancer patients that I dealt with for about five years. So hoping that with my baking, that I can somehow give back to some of those charities. And um, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm lucky I have a great job. I love what I do. And I'm going to reinvent myself into something else after I'm done with being a nurse. Awesome. So That's thank cool. you for having me. Well, listen, <laughs> I have to tell you, um, you know, this, I wanted to have you on my show because I wanted to talk about the topic of, of caregivers. Um, and, you know, you're in life sciences and you're doing amazing work. And just like all of the other guests that I've had on my show, I just appreciate all the work that you do in taking care of patients with the compassion that you bring to your job and your commitment. So um, Raz, thank you so much for being on my show. You're welcome. It was fun. Thanks a lot. I'm proud of you, bud.